here. Cream of the crop rises to the podcasting top. Yeah, the mega powers of podcasting madness. Lord Everett DeVore and co-host Diego. The Diego and DeVore Show. Uh-huh, that's what I'm talking about. Snap into it. It's the Diego and DeVore Show. Oh, yeah. Pro wrestling, paranormal, and all things entertainment. From parts unknown, way unknown, here they are, Lord Everett DeVore and co-host Diego. They are the Diego and DeVore Show. Welcome to another episode of the Diego and DeVore Show. Unfortunately, tonight, Lord DeVore, back on vacation, went back to the Poconos just like he did a few weeks ago. Actually, he tells me it's a lot warmer there than it is here, which is negative 10 and whatever. Over here. It's, it's awful thing here in West Virginia. Good for him. Got himself a nice new condo in the Poconos. But, you know, I'm going to, instead of bragging all about what he does, let's get right back to the subject at hand tonight. While I was doing some show prep and some research tonight, I, I decided to use the Google machine. I wanted to see what was out there on tonight's topic. Because it, it can vary. So the very first thing that popped up, I hit enter, was American football player. Now, a majority of us, yeah, we know him as a football player. But the ones that love him and love professional wrestling, we know him as one of the Mount Rushmore's of professional wrestling. He is a legend. On this episode of the Diego and Divorce Show, we welcome John Cosper, author of the book Wahoo. You can learn more about this book by visiting the website eatsleepwrestle.com. Please welcome to the Diego and Divorce Show, John Cosper. Mr. Cosper, welcome to the Diego and Divorce Show. Hey, it's a pleasure. Wish, wish we could be in the Poconos with Lord Devore. My goodness, <laughs> you don't even know. Everywhere he goes, he's, he's kind of like Ted Turner in the nineties. Yeah, I own that. Oh, I want to buy that. That's what he does now. Hey, it's good awesome. for him. Good on him. <laughs> good on him for sure. You can see him on his socials. I'm jealous of him. So, let's talk about because I know. We've been trying to set this up for a few weeks now. You said, well, let's wait for the new book to come out. And it's finally out. Let's let's get to it. So tell us about your new book that just came out, because I know I just spoke about the pro wrestling legend. But who are we talking about tonight? We're talking about Wahoo McDaniel. We're talking about a man who was a pro wrestling legend and before that was a football legend. Um, you know, if you if you look back at the history of the A the American Football League, the AFL from the 1960s. There's a lot of guys that are in the Hall of Fame, a lot of guys who had Hall of Fame careers, a lot of guys who were all-stars as AFL players. Wahoo was none of that, but you can't tell the story with the AFL without talking about Wahoo. He was easily the most colorful, the most memorable uh, player of the history of the AFL, uh, one of the most memorable players in the history of pro football. Uh, is still a beloved legend at, at Oklahoma's, uh, University of Oklahoma, where he still holds a couple of records uh, for the longest punt. And uh, uh, I, I don't recall what the, what, what the other one was, but it's a record that it has stood for 60 plus years at this point. Um, but I mean, he, he was certainly a football legend, uh, you know, legend in his own mind I, to, to a certain extent, although he did, didn't really, really play it off. And uh, he, he was he was he was all business. He was he was a businessman who, uh, you know, he saw how much money he was making in, in pro football and he's started to see how much money he could make as a pro wrestler. And ultimately, you know, he made a business decision and decided, you know what, I'm going to do this for the next 30 years as my full-time gig. And, uh, you know, he marched his way off in immortality as far as pro wrestlers. 
No, and that's true. But I think during his time in in football in that era, I don't think they were getting paid all that all that great. I think he Maybe made the not, better. Yeah. yeah, he made the better deal becoming a professional wrestler because yeah. back then they were on the road twenty four seven, three sixty five. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and that that's just how it was back in the day. You know, the legendary Bronco Nagurski. I'm a I'm a big Bears fan, and you know, back in the 1940s, he he made the decision to choose pro wrestling over football because you know, well, for one thing, Papa Bear Hallis was notoriously cheap. Uh, but I mean, you know, the most Wahoo ever made in a season was when he was with the New York Jets, and he was making eighteen thousand dollars. And then the next year, they bring in Joe Namath, and they give Namath a contract way way bigger than anything Wahoo had ever seen, and and uh, he he took exception to that, and he, he voiced his opinion about it. He was never shy about voicing his opinion when he didn't think things were right and um you know who knows you know if, if if the football players were getting the big contracts like they do now you know maybe it's wahoo story plays out a little bit differently but it was still a time where you could make more money in, in football than you could in wrestling and you know that that's why he went to to pro wrestling that's why nagurski did that's why bill watts did and a, and a whole lot of other guys chose chose wrestling over football well, and i don't blame them because i think that if you're looking in the football scene i think he would have gotten lost in the shuffle there somewhere you know and i know that i don't want to sound like an ass when i say that but i think i said like i said he made chose a better path becoming a professional wrestler because you can't say legends of pro wrestling without saying wahoo oh absolutely not yeah and, and i mean the wear and tear in your body in, in a football career is a whole lot more than than wrestling and yeah to his credit though i mean when, when he took up wrestling he would show up at camp in the summer and he would be in better condition than anybody else on the field. You know, he'd go and, and he'd, he'd do the two-a-days and he would do it all in the heat and, and, and the nasty weather and everything like that. And as soon as practice was done, he'd go play 18 holes of golf. It was just he was just in better condition than anybody else that was on that field. Right, and it's one of those things that I think that it made him a better prospect being a professional football player. Because we know, I mean, just we've been into wrestling just as long and forever since probably we were young kids. And mm-hmm. it always seems that the ones that stand out the most were actually ex-pro football players or any other sport. Oh, certainly. Certainly, yeah. There, there, there's a lot of great great ex-football players that, that are still wrestling today. And, yeah, I mean, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson, Roman Reigns, Big E. I mean, there's there, there's all a bunch of them. Right. And I know that um, folks like Jim Ross always, that was always kind of one of the things like, yeah. Football, let's talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Another Oklahoma Sooner right there. All right, because he he loved um Ron Simmons. Two time mm-hmm. he always said it's two time All American, Ron Simmons yep, every time. Yep. Yep. Florida Florida <laughs> State man right there. Cause I know you've written several books and because I've been on your website looking in I seen you you wrote Bluegrass Brawlers, No Gimmicks Needed. Uh, story of Chris Candido, the original Black Panther, the life and legacy of Jim Mitchell, and a few others. But the topic today, because now we're talking about Wahoo McDaniel, so what made this the right time to write and release a book about Wahoo? Uh, it was being approached by Karen McDaniel and saying, hey, would you help me write a book about Wahoo? Karen, uh, this this has been a kind of a dream of hers for a long time and you know she was she was looking for the right opportunity the right person to work with and uh it was actually another podcaster angela discipio who who connected the two of us and said i think you need to partner up with karen so karen reached out to me we talked over the phone uh we 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 clicked right away and and said well let's 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 write a book and and how was the process of that because there's tons of story about him so how did you go about choosing the best stories to put in the book it was it was all about uh you know with 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 any with any life you, you kind of start you know just just gathering the, the, the low-hanging fruit 
Um, you, you go looking for the interviews about Wahoo, the, the shoot interviews on YouTube. Um, there was actually a shoot interview he did shortly before he passed away. Um, I did a number of phone calls with Karen, a lot, a lot of personal interviews with her. And then one of the things she really wanted was to kind of have the stories of Wahoo in, in the words of the people that knew him. So uh, did a lot of interviews with a lot of pro wrestlers. I went to the Hall of Fame in Iowa this this past summer. Uh, I got to talk to guys like Joe Malenko, Baron Von Raschke, Rick McCord, uh, guys that had firsthand knowledge of, of, of who he was and, and, and had known him. Um, got to talk to a lot of people on the phone, a lot, a lot of some fans and some journalists. Uh, a lot of people were just, I mean, everybody loved Wahoo and everybody was, was more than happy to share their stories. So it, it was, you know, a process of, of going through and, and doing a lot of those interviews, getting the personal stories, getting Karen's personal stories, uh, getting Wahoo's personal stories from the interviews that he gave. And then it was also, you know, go, you know, getting the record, the historical record of all of the matches he had, kind of using that as kind of like an outline to kind of build the story on, um, going through all the old newspaper articles and clippings and stuff, particularly with his, with his football career that was really helpful was going through the newspaper archives. Um, you could go all the way back to, you know, the days when he was playing, you know, his, his first time in the newspaper was when he was playing on a, you know, a little league baseball team and his coach happened to be George H.W. Bush from Midland, Texas, who went on to become president of the United States. <laughs> so, um, I mean, just, just, just some amazing, you know, things that pop up and, um, yeah, and it was really fun too. Some of the stories that people have heard over and over, uh, for example, you know, the story about him running from Norman to Chickasha, uh, you know, Oklahoma, uh, I, I ultimately found three or four different versions of that, you know, from, you know, people who had given past interviews, people who gave me interviews, uh, and also even, you know, there was a newspaper article about copycats in Oklahoma and a couple of guys from different schools that, that tried to duplicate his feet or even top it. Um, so it was really, it, it was, it was a long process. It was, it was doing interviews. It was doing the newspaper research. Um, it was, you know, doing the research of, uh, you know, looking at other historians who had covered certain areas of uh, his career and, and his time in mid-Atlantic, his time in Florida, uh, gathering resources like magazines and old programs and things like that. And then uh, again, just, just, you know, taking that historical record, uh, which Mark James and, and, uh, Greg Grog had actually put out a wonderful book, uh, the Wahoo McDaniel record book that lists every single match he ever had um, that they were able to find in the records and stuff. And and you, that was really, really a very helpful guide to kind of, you know, taking all the different pieces that I had and kind of putting it together in kind of a coherent narrative. You know, it, it goes to show that me that's a lot of work writing a book. My goodness, because let me let me go back to something you were saying about his shoot interviews. Because it, now sometimes these shoot interviews can go great, or they can go sideways. And I know that sometimes it depends on what story they're trying to sell when you're giving these interviews. So from the shoot interviews that you've seen, whether on YouTube or on DVD or any other kind of media, the stories you received from when you did research on the book outside of the shoot interviews, how different was the Wahoo of a shoot interview than somebody else's um, experience with him? Oddly enough, not that, not that much different. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, I, got, I, I got almost the, an identical quote from Jim Cornette as I did from Wahoo's sister, Dana Erdman. Uh, if you've heard a story about Wahoo, it's probably true. Um, and, and there were a couple of, you know, a couple of tales where, where people had different versions and different accounts, but, but, but for the most part, you know, I mean, the, the stories are, you know, fa fairly similar. Uh, and, and again, there were a couple of instances, you know, there, there's a, um, the Norman Chickasha story is one, and, and then a story about, about a fight that he and Karen had had. Um, there were kind of a couple different accounts of that one as well. So, uh, but, but we, we kind of presented presented all the all the different alternatives and things like that within those stories but you know i mean for the most part you know th th there really wasn't a whole lot of you know some of the stories about wahoo are just just so 
you know, whenever I do an interview with somebody, we'd have to get get through the the two or three that I that you hear all the time, and then they get into their personal stories. And um, one of the things I always like like to tell people that yeah, the thing I noticed is, you know, when I would approach somebody and I would say, "Did you know Wahoo McDaniel?" For example, you know, Dr. D. David Schultz and I are are still friends from when I wrote his book a number of years ago, and. And David's response was a simple, no, no, didn't know Wahoo. I just just knew him by reputation, but but never really knew him. And then you approach a guy, you know, like, you know, I, I approached Joe Malenko and Rick McCord. They were both sitting at my table at the Hall of Fame in, in, in Iowa. And I asked them the question, did you guys know Wahoo? And simultaneously, both of their faces break out of this Cheshire cat grin. They both shake their heads like, yeah, we knew Wahoo. And then the stories start to come and you, you get to hear um, you know, it, Joe Malenko tells tells a hilarious story about uh, Wahoo coming up on him from behind, and Malenko puts a you know puts an old Carl Gotch move on him. You know, basically hurt Wahoo, not knowing who it was, and then Wahoo going and signing a personal autograph, which is actually in the book. You'll you'll have to read it. I'm I'm not going to repeat the words that are on what Wahoo right. signed, but uh, and, and then Rick McCord had, had a great story. His his story was about you know when he was early in his career and. Uh, he was on a show with Wahoo, and he was relieved to see that he was tagging with Wahoo. And he said, hey, Wahoo, I'm so happy. He's like, why is that? Well, we're tagging tonight. That means you can't choppy. And he's like, did you read the whole card? He looked <laughs> on down. There was a battle royal. Guess who got chopped in the ring that night? <laughs> so, um, But, yeah, it was it was just any, any you know, anybody you approach, anybody you ask, you, you get a laugh, you get a shake of the head. Big old grand's like, yeah, I knew Wahoo. What do you, what do you, what do you want to hear? So. Uh, even on down to, to Baron von Raschke, who's, who's I, th- I think one of the kindest and nicest and uh, most enjoyable people I've, I've ever had the pleasure of meeting since I've been writing books. And you know, the Baron just had some fantastic stories about working with him and the bond they had as as, as fellow. As, I get I guess it was the SWC back then when they were, uh, one of them went to Nebraska and the other one went to Oklahoma and Wahoo came up to him and said, "We got to stick together." All of all of us, us SWC board. Now it was now it was Big Eight. I'm, I'm I'm mixing it up. It's changed so much, but <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, his wrestling things changed. So yeah. With because yeah. Wahoo, he I don't know how long was his career? At least forty years. He started in '62 and he was pretty much done by '96. So yeah, we're we're talking thirty good, good thirty six years there. Thirty four years. Because I did see him, and I told you my story, and I'm not going to repeat it for the show, but, but my experience with him while I was in the Indies, and and I will testify that his chops—that's the real deal. <laughs> Depending yeah. on where you get the chop, that'll determine it. But it was it was a, a good story, and he said, "I'm sorry, kid, you good." Towards the end of his career, because I know that wrestling was changing at that time, and you know that the Attitude Era was coming on, and Monday Night Wars and things like that. Did anybody share some of his views? What was going on at that time? Was he disappointed? Did, was he okay with it? He was. He was like a lot of guys from his era. He he didn't like the changes that were happening, and 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 uh, you know, kind of the way wrestling kind of evolved from there. Um, Karen said she's pretty sure even if he was watching AEW today, he might he'd see some things that he liked a little bit better. But you know, it's just. It, you know, it, it it wasn't what he grew up with, and it wasn't what what he had made a living doing for a long time. So it, it really wasn't his thing. Um, he did make an appearance on Monday Night Raw one time uh, with uh, with uh, Chief J Strongbow, where they presented a ceremonial headdress to Tatanka. Uh, that was really the one and only time he ever did anything with WWF. But that, it, yeah, it really wasn't his thing. How really? what the sport was turning into. Right, because I know Sam Martino had similar issues with the with the way things were going at that time as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. And, and he, you know, Wahoo had actually worked very briefly for the WWF in the 60s uh, when Vince McMahon Sr. was in charge and, and ended up walking out on him over, over a money issue where he, he felt cheated one night. And uh, WWF ultimately ended up turning Joe Scarpa into Chief J. Strongbow uh, since they had lost Wahoo. But uh, um, yeah, but I mean, you know, like, you know, like you said, he he was just one of those old school guys. It just just really wasn't his thing. But um, he was, you know, your your story talking about working with him. He was a guy who you know looked out for the little guys. He you know he, the rookies. He wasn't a guy to take advantage of, of younger guys. And if you saw younger guys being taken advantage of, you know, he'd step in and he'd help them to to, to get even occasionally. You know, especially with somebody he he had issues with himself. So. Um, you know, he, he never had a problem standing up for what he thought was right and, and defending other guys. He was willing to take the bullet and be the one to get fired, but for, for standing up for everybody, um, he got fired a lot <laughs> for speaking his mind and, and saying what he believed. And but that, that's just as who he was. That's who he was in football. That's who he was in wrestling. He was, you know, you know, what you see is what you get with Wahoo. Right. You know, and that reminds me of something because I know when I first when I first met him, I was kind of a little uneasy. I mean, I was I was scared of the guy for sure. I mean, he he is who he is, and I was just a scrawny little skinny guy in the indies and but you learn a lot just by listening to him just like when i had my experience when i met tito santana honky tonk man greg valentine bill eady it's one of those if you sit down and just listen to what they have to say things start making sense it's just, i had the same experience with wahoo as well yeah yeah I, I, I've, I've had a chance to talk to a lot of those guys as well and it's it's you know i'll, I'll tell you for for me there's nothing better than just sitting down and, and being next to two of those guys to listen to them talk and just listen to the stories that they tell you and um yeah it's always a good thing too when you know my get a chance to talk with younger wrestlers and everything is, you know, you get a chance to be around these folks, listen to them, you know, listen to what they're saying. And, you know, yes, the business has changed, but certain things still work, you know, that, that have worked from the very beginning about the psychology of, of, of how things work. Um, I was actually talking with Doug Basham earlier today, who's who's now training at OVW with Al Snow. And, you know, the, the big thing everybody mentions to me about working with Al Snow and his form of training is he teaches them the why. Why do we do this? Why do we do this at this part of a batch? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? You know, understanding the psychology of it and how that helps you to hook an audience to tell a story to make them want to keep coming back. And, you know, not, you're not just focusing on this one match, but you're looking long term and you're looking at the why of everything you do. Um, it was just a really, you know, I mean, it's it's you know, it's one thing to go out and, and be able to do all the moves and this and that and put on a flashy show. But if you understand why you're doing things and why you don't do certain things all the time, you know, that 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 helps that that's what makes the difference between, you know, being a pro wrestler and being a legend in the long run. No, you, you nailed it right there. You know, the difference between a wrestler and being a legend. And with that, because it seems to me, and not to me, because I love wrestling and I'm always watching the old tapes and what's going on, but it seems that the history, especially the time of Wahoo, that seems to be getting forgotten. But I think it, looking back, I think Wahoo still has a lot to give even today as to teach people how the wrestling business works. Oh, certainly. I think that you can say that for anybody, you know, from, from any of the past eras. Um, I love giving, you know, I've got, got the book on Elvira Snodgrass that I wrote that I've given out to a lot of the, the young ladies that are on the independent scene, you know, and I've had a lot of young wrestlers either buy or I've, I've given them copies of, of Jim Mitchell. But I tell them, it's like, go back and learn about these people. Go back and learn about characters like, you know, Lord Patrick Lansdowne. You know, he was the guy who originated, you know, what became Gorgeous George and and, and the Nature Boy and, and everything like that. He was the first person to really kind of have a character like that. You know, go back and look at what Elvira Snodgrass did. Look at look at these gimmicks and look at these, you know, 
these storylines and things like that, and the angles that they did, you know, in the 30s and 40s that have not been seen, you know, in 60 or 70 or 80 years, you can find stuff that these guys did back in the day and the ladies did back in the day that hasn't been seen in forever. And what's old can become new. That can be the thing that makes you stand out. That can be the thing, you know, that makes you bigger. Um, I love watching a guy like MJF who, you know, goes out there and he's he's in character 24-7 on his social media when he's meeting fans in different places. He's an old school heel. Um, before MJF came along, I got to know a guy from up in New York, Mr. Darius Carter. Uh, he doesn't sell gimmicks at the gimmick table. He's a heel. He's like, I don't sell gimmicks. Nobody wants to buy my stuff. I'm the bad guy, you know, and he's one, you know, that that's, you know, for a lot of guys, that's their gas money. And, you know, I certainly understand the heels that go out there and play nasty and then they smile and they take photos and stuff. They want some gas money to get to the next town, but he's willing to sacrifice that because he's trying to sell a character. He's trying to sell an image. Um, and he, 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 just like MJF, he doesn't do shoot interviews. He does get in character interviews. He's always Mr. Darius Carter. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's how you make yourself stand out and it's it's how you you know making yourself stand out is, is how you get noticed and and how, how you grow a fan base no yeah because i've noticed that of course business changes but it, it seems like i've interviewed a lot of folks on this show we lordship and i it's almost come full circle to where a lot of the guys and gals are finally getting it the business aspect of wrestling and they're actually showing a lot of these old school attributes that um people like like flair or Valentine, especially Wahoo had. So it's refreshing to know that at least today's some in today's generation is actually doing their homework. Yeah. And uh, yeah, one thing I, I love about AEW, and this actually goes back to, I, I was at uh, you know, All In when they did that back in Chicago. The amount of respect they showed to the past and to the guys from the past was incredible. Um, on the All In show, you you, you had, um, you know, Tiger Hattori, you know, call, call on one of the matches. You had Earl Hebner call on a match. You know, during the big NWA title match, you had Jeff Jarrett in one corner and Diamond Dallas Page in the other. You know, when Tessa Blanchard came out, Tully Blanchard was at ringside with her. Um, and uh, yeah, um, the best the best story I heard come out of that was it was Lanny Poffo. Lanny Poffo paid his own way to go there, paid his own way to have a table, you know, to be at the StarCast event that weekend. They approached him and said, hey, would you mind coming out with Jay Lethal? He's going to do his, his macho man thing. You can come out as, as Leap and Lanny. He did that, came out to ringside. And a couple of weeks later, they, they sent him a check. You know, he didn't do it for the money. He did it for the fun and he did it for the exposure. They were because they're, you know, Jay Lethal's character honors his brother. Um, and he just just did it for kicks. But just showing that respect and going that extra mile. Um, they've, they've done a lot of, you know, had a lot of guest appearances by a lot of different folks. Kerry McDaniel actually got to go, you know, backstage and get, got the royal treatment from AEW. Tony came up and introduced himself to her and everything. Um, they don't bring the veterans out and humiliate them. Like, you know, there was, I guess, I think it was about a year, year ago around this time when the WWF brought in Big Show and Mark Henry and had some young guy come out and just, just run them down the ring. Look, look at how old they are and they're retired and this and that. You know, it put, you know, putting themselves over at the expense of the legends who paved the way. You know, that's why Mark Henry went to AEW. That's why Mark, you know, Paul White went to AEW. Um, and, and they're using those guys, you know, I mean, you know, you see them on TV here and there and stuff like that, you know, and, and, and Mark has this wonderful time for the main event bit every Friday night, which, you know, I'm head of the gym after this and I can't wait to see him do it tonight. It's one of my favorite, you know, bits of the show every week, but you don't see Mark behind the scenes. He's working with these young guys. He's helping to train them and he's passing on the knowledge that he got way back at OVW from Danny Davis and from Jim Cornette and from Rip Rogers and sharing it with the next generation. You know, AEW cares what these guys have to 
USA. They care about the legacy of these guys. And, you know, you know, Arn and Tully and, and all of these guys that you see on television, they're not just making appearances and, you know, and collecting the paycheck. They're coaching, you know, they're agenting, they're teaching, they're, you know, and, and everybody in the backstage in that locker room, from what I understand, is open to listening. And, uh, you know, that's it's, it's making a difference. Yeah, I mean, so that's pretty much, it seems that AEW seems to be blending the generations together, winning the hearts and minds mm-hmm. of the wrestling fans. And I'm not going to lie to you, I haven't watched a WWF or E, anything after WrestleMania 13. That's just my thing. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to explain. It. That's a whole show in itself, but it seems like there's a way to pay tribute to the past. And I know you got to do the favor, pass the torch, mm-hmm. but you can do it without dogging the people that got you to the game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there, there, there's no reason to dog the past. If, you, if, you, if you're running them down, you know, I mean, then why are you going to turn around and listen to them, you know? And um, I say, I'm, I'm working on, actually, you mentioned Bluegrass Brawlers, a new edition of that book, and I've been talking to a lot of the folks at OVW. Um, Al Snow bought OVW from Danny Davis a couple years ago. He's brought that whole different attitude and a whole different mindset. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm watching guys that are working for him, you know, guys that, that started out with IWA Mid-South, 20-year veterans like Cashflow and Isaiah. These guys are telling me how much they're learning from working with Al Snow, you know, and what they're learning about, you know, the psychology, about the why everything happens and how to tell a story, just the little things you do in the ring that really captivates an audience. Um, and talking with Doug Basham earlier today, Doug's telling me that, you know, he, he kind of, you know, Al kind of kind of threw the bait out there and kind of slowly reeled him in and hooked him in. And, you know, now now Doug's teaching the advanced class over there, um, basically taking over his his mentor, Rip Rogers, old role. But, you know, he's telling me the things that he's, he's learning from Al. And, um, if you watch OVW television on Fight or if you watch one of their specials or anything like that, you're going to see a very different show than what you see on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown. You're, you're, going to, you're not going to see you know, the same spot in every match. You're not going to see a whole lot of talking. You're going to see you know, good wrestling, and you're going to see different types of finishes, and you're going to see some real creativity. Um, I was there a couple weeks ago at, at a TV taping. They had Jesse Goddard versus Jake Oman in the, in the main event. And um, the finish of this match was just uh, what, if you remember the old Eddie Guerrero bit where he smacked the chair, he tossed it to, to Mr. Mr. Kennedy and he laid out. Yeah. Jesse, Jesse Goddard does that bit. He smacks a chair. He tosses a Jake Oman. He lays out waiting to be disqualified so that, you know, the Jake doesn't get the win and the dust get the, get a shot at his title. Well, Jake takes the chair because the ref's not looking. He smacks it. He drops the chair and he lays out. So both these guys are laying out. The referee turns around. There's a chair laying there. Both guys are knocked out. Referee turns around to find out what's going on. Jesse and Jake sit up. They're pointing their fingers at each other. They're yelling at each other. And just at the same moment when the refs turn around, they both lay back down. It was just such a creative and fun twist on, you know, on a spot that we've all seen and loved a hundred times. And just take it and just put that little twist on it. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you, any, anybody out there who's who's into watching them wrestling on the internet, go to fight and give OVW a shot because they've got some incredible talent there. Um, yeah, Isaiah Cashflow from from IWA Mid South. They've got some young wrestlers, particularly the women's division. They've got Haley J. They've got uh, Charlie Cruel. They've got Haley Shadows, uh, Ari Alexander, Ju- uh, Judy Ray Hendricks. Um, some incredible talent there. That's that's uh, that's going to be changing and, and be- becoming the faces of the business in, in the coming years. Yeah, and you know, speaking of OVW because we had uh Reverend Ronnie Roberts here mm. last year and he's a hoot and yeah. you want to talk about a guy <laughs> that has got a passion for the business and loves wrestling there's a guy to talk to so it seems that I mean this is my opinion maybe you know you can share yours that wrestling got a little bit lost where you were hurting cats but it seems like we're, we're going back to the fundamentals again I think okay we're a little out of control let's bring it back to what makes sense 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's sad because I think NXT was was certainly at that place for for quite a while. And they seem to be, uh, you know, the only thing everybody's talking about with NXT this week is how they took, you know, a guy who's a future legend and probably one of the best wrestlers in the world. And they took away the name that has made him famous and they slapped the name of a Nazi U-boat commander on him. So, you know, I just read that. Not the direction you want to go. I I, I don't know. I I don't uh, like you. I don't I don't watch. It's not you know, it's not anything, you know. It's it's certainly not anything about the guys and the ladies that work there or anything like that. But, you know, the last time, you know, I, I watched a WWE show, you know, I, I remember seeing somebody walking to the ring and then they cut to a sketch backstage and then somebody else walking to the rings cut to a sketch backstage. And I looked down at my phone for two seconds. I look up the match is over. There's no match. I mean, it was just it was just done. You know, and then meanwhile, you know, like I said, I, you know, AEW is has kept me going to the gym. I'm trying to get myself in actual shape. They keep me going to the gym on Wednesdays and Thursdays. You know, they do an hour long Broadway <laughs> with Daniel Bryan and, and Hangman Page. And keep it entertaining um, at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and, and I get wrestling, you know. The the other night I went early because I wanted to see Moxley and I actually stayed longer than I normally would have because there's this mixed mixed tag match with um, Orange Cassidy, Chris Statlander, Adam Cole, and Britt Baker, you know. And it's just I enjoy watching wrestling. I enjoy watching what they're doing. Um, I get the same from OVW. I get the same from watching Impact. Uh, there's a lot of people at Impact um, that I've, I've watched from the indies that I, I love seeing them up there and, and seeing them succeed. Um, I get the same from New Japan as well. It's just... <sighs> I wish they had a Roku app. It was a little bit easier to watch them. But, right. Um, you know, when I was growing up, the only the only way for me to watch New Japan was going through tape trading or buying stuff from RF Video at the time, which yeah, you, yeah. if you remember, that was, you know, <laughs> I was a big, still am a big Liger fan and Super Jacob, all that. But to, to wrap that one part up, and I know that it's easy to, you know, to not really like what Dilly Dilly E is doing, because I know it's, McMahon's done a lot of great things for the business. He's created a lot of great wrestling memories. It just seems like it was a wrestling company that had a TV show. It's just not converted to it's a TV show that just happens to have wrestling in it. Yeah, and and not a, not very much. And and there's there's so many talented people there. And there's you know. Yeah, you know, we, we we can all sit here and be armchair bookers. We we haven't made mm-hmm. the money. We haven't made the deals Vince McMahon has made. But you know, Vince is at a point too with the contracts he's got. He can kind of rest on his laurels. Yeah, he makes more from one Saudi Arabia show that the AEW is going to make in a year. But that doesn't, you know, I mean. <sighs> I, you know, how long is it going to be before, you know, nobody's watching on Fox, nobody's watching on USA. And, you know, I mean, you, just because you've got all that money doesn't mean you can't be, you don't need to be competitive. You can't be creative. And um, I think, think they've lost a little bit of that. And, you know, I hate to see that, not just not just for the fans of that company, but for the wrestlers and, um, and just in general. I mean, it's the WWE, you know, and right. they've given us a lot of great memories over the years. And it's um, one of, not not the only, but certainly one of the reasons I became a fan as a kid. Yeah, and you know, it's not about I don't hate Vince or what they do, you know. I want them to come out great, smelling like roses and create more WrestleMania memories, you know, for my grandkids down the road. I want them to be wrestling fans as well. And you don't want any of those guys to be unemployed either. You know, the, the great thing about right now is there's so many companies and there's so many places for people to be employed, but it seems like every week they're releasing a roster full of wrestlers. So But you I, know I, what? Again, He's a survivor. Vince is a survivor, so mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll come out okay. But before we continue, fans of the Diego and Divorce show, this is normally where I would try to pitch you some sort of a product. Come visit our website, but I'm going to pitch you something. On Sunday, March 13th, 
12 p.m. to 3 p.m., we will have the first ever Diego and DeVore show meet and greet. Join his lordship, Lord Everett DeVore, and co-host Diego, that's me, with special guests Mad Max Morrison and Anthony Athens. We're going to be at the Strasburg Flea Market, 110 Massanutten Street in Strasburg, Virginia, 226. Five, seven. These two guys, Mad Max Morrison and Anthony Athens, they're future superstars. I would, I urge you to go on YouTube and watch what it is that they're doing. I've seen them live and I know them personally. One of them is pretty much my neighbor. Let me tell you, go down to the Strasburg Flea Market. They have a plethora of professional wrestling memorabilia from all the century, all the uh, decades of wrestling. I almost said centuries, but it's almost right at this point. They got Star Wars. They have G.I. Joe. They have comics. They have everything. Just the other day, I got myself a few of the old LJN 8-inch. I got a Jimmy Hart. I got me a King Kong Bundy, Magnificent Morocco. Everything, everything there is reasonably priced. Of course, you pay a little bit more for the autographs, but that is very well worth it if you're a wrestling memorabilia collector. So it'll be on Sunday, March 13th, 12 to 3 p.m. The guests... Card subject to change, of course. You know pro wrestling. Just join his lordship and myself. Strasburg Flea Market, 110 Mass Street, Strasburg, Virginia, 22657. I'll see you all there. Back with our guest tonight, brand new book, Wahoo. The author, John Cosper. Let me bring up something because... As a pro wrestling fan, I am not like an encyclopedia Britannica of pro wrestling knowledge, but I was scrolling through your web. I've been keeping an eye on your website since I made contact with you. And I'm surprised that I don't know more about this one wrestler. And I saw the book titled The Life and Legacy of Jen Mitchell. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I don't really know much about him. So what made you write that book and bring him to light? Because it seemed, I mean, it's important nowadays to know more about him. Yeah, he's, uh, well, and, and I'll, I'll say probably part of the reason why, you know, he's he's been lost to history is, um, you know, we did have one wrestling company kind of become the monopoly and and the, the, the sole source of wrestling for a, a good chunk of time. And one of the things they have done is they have, you know, in the, in the documentaries they presented, the books they presented, they've written the story of pro wrestling in their image. So anyone who didn't work for them didn't work with them um, either you know for for the previous generation or the current generation yeah, it is not part of their narrative you know and, and a big piece of that is you know if you were to go to, to the WWE to learn the story of women's wrestling you're going to hear all about the fabulous moolah you're going to hear all about Mae Young and uh, you, you, you'll, you'll hear that Mae Young was you know main eventing you know back in the 1940s and selling out buildings but what they're not going to tell you is that Mae Young was selling out those buildings because she was opposite Mildred Burke, probably the greatest women's wrestler of all time, you know, and a large part of that is, you know, they gave the microphone to, to Mae Young and they gave it to, to, to the fabulous Moolah and neither one of them liked Mildred Burke. So of course they're, they're just not even going to bring her up, but you know, getting to Jimmy Mitchell, you know, he, uh, he, he started his career and he pretty much wrapped up his career uh, right about the time that uh, the television was coming in. So he really wasn't a part of television for, for very long at all. Um, he was a African-American from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, got started in the wrestling business somewhere around the early, the, actually the late 1920s, um, making some appearances at the Savoy Theater in, in Louisville. And uh, then he kind of connected with Jimmy McLemore, who was a promoter up in Indianapolis, uh, was also a magician. And part of a, uh, I don't remember the name of the organization, but a national, this national organization, Magicians, he was their lawyer for a long time. But Macklemore really kind of took him under his wing. By 1932, Jim Mitchell was main eventing shows in the Indianapolis area, um, became a big star in northern Indiana, the northwest Ohio, Michigan. 
went on to become one of the biggest stars out in California in the 1940s and had a huge feud with Gorgeous George. Um, matter of fact, and it was uh, August 24th, 1949, uh, the two of them were wrestling. Gorgeous George threw Jim Mitchell out of the ring, wouldn't let him come back in, kicked him in the head as he was trying to come back in. A fan raced in the ring to go after Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George knocked him down, and the fans rioted. Um, Mitchell and Gorgeous George were able to escape to the back, but, I mean, the fans fought until about 2 or 3 in the morning. There were a couple of people injured. Uh, there, there was a little bit of blood. Nobody, nobody, nobody killed, but a few people sent to the hospital, a couple of lawsuits. Um, I actually own the program that was handed out that night at the Olympic Auditorium. I have the letter that Jim Mitchell received from the California Athletic Commission ordering him to appear to answer to his part in citing a riot at the Olympic Auditorium. Um, Jim Cornette actually bought the, uh, backing up, long story short, there was a guy in Toledo, Ohio, who bought Mitchell's house long after Mitchell had passed, actually after his stepdaughter had passed away and it was in foreclosure at the bank, bought it as a flip and he found, I mean, just hundreds of pieces of memorabilia that belonged to Jim Mitchell um, wow. that I kind of helped him to catalog and we sold a lot of it on eBay. I kept a lot of it, uh, kept, kept a few things, purchased a few things from him and scanned absolutely everything, <laughs> So, which was a big part of how I was able to even and tell the story. Um, but again, I have the letter from the California Athletic Commission and Jim Cornette has his ledger book from that particular era. If you go to August of 1949, you know, you notice he's got, you know, ledger entries for, you know, plane ticket to New York, you know, license in New York, license in New Jersey. Jim Mitchell got kicked to New York, New Jersey for six months after that because, um, you know, the California Wrestling Commission wasn't going to give up gorgeous George. But, um, I mean, Mitchell was a very influential figure. I mean, he, uh, you know, everybody talks about Bobo Brazil breaking the color barrier. There was no color barrier for Jim Mitchell. He was wrestling against white wrestlers. He was wrestling against them in Indiana Ohio, Michigan, New York, California, you know, just about everywhere he went, except for the times that he ended up, you know, going south of the Mason-Dixon line. Anytime he came back to Louisville, he was in, you know, wrestling against Jack, Jack Claiborne or King Kong Clayton or, or Celi Samara, one of the other you know, African-American stars that would come in. Mitchell opened his own, uh, he opened a liquor store up in Toledo. He was, you know, as a businessman, he collected pipes from around the world. Uh, as a matter of fact, the guy who, you know, had collected all this stuff has Jim Mitchell's pipe collection. And we're talking thousands of smoking pipes that Mitchell collected, you know, in his travels and, and, and they were sent to him by friends and fans and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this was a guy that uh, was a trailblazer. You know, he was ahead of his time. He did take Bobo Brazil under his wing. He took another guy named Ricky Waldo under his wing. Uh, Ricky Waldo ultimately ended up going to Canada, then going to Japan and going to Europe because, you know, it was just easier for him to get bookings elsewhere because here in America, you know, well, we already have Bobo Brazil. Why do we need another African-American? You know, it was just kind of a sad situation that he was in, but um, he's an unsung hero. He's a, he's a guy who deserves to be in the hall of fame. He's a guy who deserves to be recognized you know, by, by wrestling fans and, and as a big part of wrestling history. And he caught my eye when I was working on my first book, Bluegrass Brawlers. And, you know, the fact that he was from Louisville, he'd worked as a bellboy at the Sealbach Hotel. And it was it was a story that I really wanted to tell. And it was, yeah, it was very much my privilege and my pleasure to be able to kind of bring that one to life. And that's an amazing story. And also, that's some nuclear heat if you could have a match and inside a riot. Probably, probably I would say, and, 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 and th th there were, I'm sure, a lot of other electric nights in the Olympic, but, but that and then the night that uh, Roddy Piper said he was going to play the Mexican national anthem and play La Cucaracha on the bagpipes. That's probably the two biggest, uh, you know, biggest heat getting moments that, that I know of at the Olympic auditorium. So, Oh, and I think in today's culture, I think there's an awful lot of that stuff that I don't think it can be said. No, no, I'm sure yeah, yeah, you could not do what Roddy Piper did back then. <laughs> and I know, you know, you got, you got things to do tonight. You got to go hit the gym and then 
watch some AEW. Getting back real quick to Jim Mitchell, is there anything, any surviving video footage of him wrestling? There is. There are a few clips on YouTube. Uh, there's actually one from a newsreel, and I believe it's from for one of his, his travels to uh, to Australia. But th- there are a couple of clips of him on there. There's a clip too of uh, Elvira Snodgrass, who's another kind of kind of lost wrestler from that era that I wrote a biography of. And there's there's some great. There's no sound to it, but it's a, a fight between her and Gladys Gillum. And uh, boy, she she had an uppercut. It was just yeah, it just she said Gladys flying all over that ring, and uh, she was another one too. Was kind of an innovator. I mean, um, she married Elmer. Snodgrass and they kind of created this hillbilly persona. And again, wrestlers weren't doing that. You know, they weren't coming to the ring dressed as hillbillies. They weren't coming to the ring dressed as, you know, you know, royalty or things like that. People came to the ring in their robes and they had their black trunks and that was it. Um, and that was, you know, George Wagner recognized, well, I'm not getting anywhere doing this. I'm going to copy what Lord Lansdowne's doing. He dyed his hair and he started wearing the purple robes and created the gorgeous George persona. And that's, that's how wrestling kind of evolved from there. So, but yeah, but, um, get back to your question. Yeah. Jim Mitchell, there are a couple clips of him on YouTube. Uh, and there's a couple clips of, uh, Elvira on there as well. Right. And that was the age of the, the, the birth of the gimmicks. Uh-huh. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. We Lord Lansdowne is another, another fascinating subject from, the 30s but we can get into him another time so he's well, of course hopefully character <laughs> later down this year before we we end this interview but there's a couple more questions i have but let's talk about your website eat sleep wrestle let's talk about all the books you have there and what's going on because i understand because i like it when the Diego and divorce show listeners visit other people's social media buy their products learn some more stuff about pro wrestling but i know that you have a special code to save people money. Sure, yeah. I, I, there's actually two of them. There's one I posted on Twitter. If you've used the coupon code TWEET, which is T-W-E-E-T, that'll save you 10%. Or ESW, Eat, Sleep, Wrestle. Uh, just type in ESW. That'll save you 10% as well. Uh, the website's eatsleepwrestle.com. I do have most of my books available on there. Um, a lot of them are autographed by myself and my co-authors. Um, I've got just a handful of Tracy Smothers signed books still available. Of course, he passed away a year and a half ago. Um, but I do have a handful of his still signed. Um, uh, Princess Victoria's books, I've got them signed by her. Wahoo's come signed by myself and Karen McDaniel. Uh, uh, Chris Candido's book is signed by myself and Johnny Candido, who co-wrote the book with me. Uh, but yeah, if you want to come to eatsleepwrestle.com, take a, check out some of the books we've got. Um, I just actually took Bluegrass Brawlers off sale right now because there is a second edition coming in a couple months. Uh, much expanded from the original version. I cannot wait to get it out. Uh, the new cover, I'm working with an artist that I've worked with in the past, Adrian Johnson, and it's it's going to be really cool. Um, but but very excited to get that one out here in a couple months. But Wahoo's out now, uh, Candido, Tracy Smothers, the Black Panther, Jim Mitchell, uh, Cousin Elvira Snodgrass, uh, a whole lot of stuff available if you want to come check it out. All right, I urge that Jake on Divorce Show listeners definitely visit eSleepWrestle.com and learn a little more about this industry of it's a crazy industry of pro wrestling. It's a lot of beautiful stories. Each book tells a very detailed history of each performer. So, and one more question before we go, and I know it, it might be a silly question. It's almost like asking a wrestler, well, who got, who influenced you to become a wrestler? My my answer is always going to be Bret Hart. You're writing books and then say so you're, you're walking down the street, driving around and you're thinking, you go back to your memory banks and you're saying, write about a book about this person. So what is it, what, what when lightning hits you, how do you choose who to, write about a lot of it in the last couple of years has been people coming to me um the tracy's mothers was, was was brought to me by a friend of his tim dennison uh scott teal actually connected myself and uh and vicky otis princess victoria and then uh you know angelo despirito connected me with um with with karen mcdaniel um but sometimes it's yeah it's it's who's 
what, who's got a story that fascinates me? Um, you know, Jim Mitchell was one. Uh, Cousin Elvira Snodgrass was another. Uh, I'll be honest with you, that one hasn't sold sold a whole lot of copies, but I'm real proud of that book. It's one that I've, I've done a lot of giveaways with and everything, and one I'm happy to promote because, I mean, she's, she's got a phenomenal story. You know, she was a poor girl from Louisiana um, who, had, who had a daughter who wanted a bit better life for herself and for her daughter, and, and she went out and pursued a, you know, a career in professional wrestling and uh, unfortunately, you know, came to a tragic end with a car accident, which is uh, quite an interesting story in and of itself. Um, how she survived the car accident, but it's just the stories. And I, I like good stories. I like good storytellers. Um, you know, I certainly enjoyed working with, with Tracy. I enjoyed working with uh, uh, Dr. D. David Schultz on his book. Uh, Princess Victoria is an incredible storyteller. And actually, Chris Candido happened because of Tracy. You know, the whole time I was working on Tracy's book, he said, "Hey, after you're done with my book, you got to do Candido's. Candido's the greatest wrestler I was ever in the ring with. You got to do Candido's book." So. Um, you know, I, I do have some dream projects out there. I always tell people I would love to work with Kevin Von Erich. Um, I think Ricky Morton would be a phenomenal story to tell. Yes. Uh, working with some of the other ladies from the past, like like Leilani Kai, would, would be a lot of fun. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. You know, I'm, I'm working with Madman Pondo on a second book. Um, that's the guy that I actually pursued. You know, same time I had somebody talking to me to get Dr. D. David Schultz to do a book. Uh, I was talking to Pondo because Pondo's an incredible storyteller, and we're getting ready to work on a second one. Um, and then uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going to go. If there's actually some historical bios that, that I'm looking into going into. Uh, Wee Willie Davis has always been a fascination of mine. And I know the lady people have probably never heard of, Mars Bennett. She was a circus performer in the 1940s. She was a strong lady. And she became a pro wrestler in the 1950s. And, and, uh, and quite a, quite an amazing story. And um, very fortunate I've gotten to know a couple of her nieces who are eager to get her story out there as well. So, But we'll, we'll see we'll see where we go. Um, I love what I do. Every, every day, I, you know, something new happens or I get to talk to somebody and I'm like, I can't, you know, I can't believe I get to do this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's a real pl- privilege to be able to do what I do. It's great. And it's not work if you're doing something you love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We really appreciate having you on the Diego and Divorce show. Please, uh, listeners of the Diego and Divorce show, please visit eatsleepwrestle.com. Go ahead and purchase one of the books. And one of the things about books like this is I know a lot of the major publishers dealt or organizations will release books about wrestlers. But I think that when you go to authors like John, I think you'll get a little more honest story and a real more background on these performers and these wrestlers. So please visit eSleepWrestle.com. Also visit us on Facebook.com forward slash Diego and Divorce Show. Look for us on Twitter. Look for me on Facebook as co-host Diego. Look for John Cosper. And uh, just keep up with the latest and greatest things coming out from his books in our podcast episodes. Mr. Cosper, it's, it's been an honor having you on. I'd like to have you on a few more times this year. Each time you release a book, please come on the show. Let's talk about this. Get these stories out there. I think they're very important stories to tell. I love to, Diego. Be happy to come back anytime. So. Thank you very much. All right, my friends. So hopefully next week, Mr. DeVore will be back from vacation. We're going to get down to it. we got a lot of things planned for the rest of this year. And remember the meet and greet on Sunday, March 13th, between 12 and 3 p.m. at the Strasburg Flea Market in Strasburg, Virginia. Mad Max Morrison and Anthony Athens will be there giving autographs. And while you're there, please purchase the plethora of pro wrestling memorabilia that the Strasburg Flea Market has to offer. For his lordship, Lord Everett DeVore, and co-host Diego, that being me, thank you for supporting the Diego and Divorce Show. Until the next time, stay safe. The Diego and Divorce Show. 
Every week, co-host Diego and Lord DeVore talk about pro wrestling, paranormal, entertainment, and beyond. Catch them on anchor.fm slash Diego dash DeVore show. Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening platform. Learn more at facebook.com slash Diego and DeVore show or on Twitter at Diego and DeVore. It's not just a podcast. They are the Diego and DeVore show.